This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Guys, Alana Glazer, she is hilarious and brilliant and an awesome friend and an amazing political advocate. And she's on today's episode of Work in Progress. Alana co-created and starred in the masterpiece Broad City. And I had the chance to work with her in our upcoming film, False Positive. When she asked me to do this movie with her, I just about passed out. And it was every bit as dreamy as I would have hoped it to be. And by the way, not only does she star in it, she wrote it. She's a badass. I was so happy to sit down with Alana, not only to talk about her incredible career, but also her activism. She co-founded the Generator Collective, which is so cool. It allows people to share how they've been impacted directly by any political policy and talk about the change they'd like to see in any arena. She is just so great, and I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. One of my favorite humans to hang out with in New York. A lot of people, when we were working on our movie, were like, wait, how do you guys know each other? Like, Alana seems like she's the coolest person ever. I was like, yeah, I mean, she is. That's um, nice. Thank and you. when, do you remember when we first, because con- we connected on Instagram. Yeah, I had just heard about you for a long time from Paul W. Downs. Yeah. Who knew you from years back? Yeah. And uh, Paul was one of my first friends in New York. So dope. Like the animal years of our 20s we spent together. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So I had just heard about you for a long time. And then mm-hmm. I really love the way you do Instagram. And I just like love how you're available. You know what I mean? You make yourself available through your public platform. Mm-hmm. You make your like, it seems that you make your like true self available. And I really loved that. Oh, and then thanks. we connected. And then when John and I were writing false positive, 
there was just this moment, like this character, your character, Corrigan, had been different iterations of her throughout different iterations of the script. Mm. But then when I was like, hold on, do you know Sophia Bush? And we were like watching videos of you. It, it really, it's so much easier to write when you like write with a person in mind. And yeah, that clicked in for us. And then I like, I guess we had messaged back and forth, but then I was like, Hey, will you do this movie? That was a really fun note to get to. I was like, what? Wait, what? It's so crazy to be like <laughs> asked to do anything pretty much. You yeah. Know what I mean, like it doesn't happen a lot. No. And it's a <laughs> wild thing too, to be on the receiving end of a um, of a, you know, messaging with people who you like and respect and think are cool is obviously the raddest thing about the internet. It's like the positive side of a weird place, but it was a wild thing just as a, you know, as a business person and and as an actor, I was like, oh, someone who creatively I'm so into just was like, hey, I wrote this and can't imagine doing it without you. And will you come to New York and make this movie? I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, of course I will. What's going on? I'm so glad you had that moment. That's yeah. so nice. It was so cool. <laughs> I was like, this is a really crazy, surreal thing. And then it was, yeah, it was so much fun to come out here and watch you star in the film, having written the film and run the set in the way that you did. And so interesting, I think, to to watch the way um, that a woman who's really filling so many shoes in, in the same room can, can create like such a special energy. It was pretty rad. Thank you so much. I, I really honestly think only a woman could do it the way that I do. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I do it because of my experience as a woman and seeing, I guess like women are always thought of second after men's ideas. Mm. So being in that place, makes you think of everybody or makes me think of everybody where I'm like, everybody's ideas are worth something. Even if you don't use it, even if you Mm -hmm. don't move forward on it, like I just want to hear them. Mm -hmm. Women, I think are just great leaders because of being discounted. I want it to change, Mm -hmm. but I think right now that's like why women are such great leaders because like nobody thinks we have good ideas. So we like, you know, we just like work harder because we have to, our work has to be twice as good you know, and, and mm-hmm. often women never get the credit either. They, right. you know, they never even get the credit. Also, in the wake of the end of Broad City, mm-hmm. I can't believe how rare our experience is. Yes. And I, like, don't want to be in a position where I don't want to be uncomfortable because I'm a woman, mm-hmm. you know? And it's crazy to really swallow now how rare this experience has been. Yeah. Do you think that you weren't even aware while you were making it because it was just the thing you were making. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we started the web series, I was talking about this the other day, like we didn't even really realize it was feminist. Mm-hmm. We it, because also the self-awareness of the internet has brought such a culture like not only woke about civil rights and racism and misogyny, but like woke like aware about of yourself and like what you mm-hmm. look like to others versus what you feel inside like the internet is raising consciousness about our own personal narratives. Mm. So at the time it was 10 years ago. I don't know. It was 2009 when we started and it just, we didn't realize it was feminist like (laughs) at all, (laughs) at all. Um, So yeah, I've been like 
raising my own consciousness about uh, throughout the process. And that is power. You know, that awareness, that consciousness is so powerful when pointed in the right direction and like fired off. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to continue doing that. Just I didn't even think about that on the film, that that was, I mean, except for when you told me, which was amazing, when you were like, this is so cool, so rad, the way you're running a set, you know, you you were hyping me up and I was like, oh my God, right. But it's like just how I do shit. I've just never done it in the feature film space, which right. is a different space. Right. You know, it is it is totally different than like TV is, I don't know, more accessible, like lower, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> a lower form of art, whatever. Like there's just different stuff that comes with that. And I need to be presumptuous. Women need to be presumptuous. And you need to be blah, 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 blah. He's like sort of like (laughs) almost just mouthing fake words. You know what I mean? This guy that just walked by, he's like, ding, down, ding, 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 He's like just gibberish. Just to be loud. Yeah. So it just is, thanks for saying that. Because I, and we need continual reminders too. Mm -hmm. And not just like women, like people, you know, even like straight white men. Like there's this new like moment in the movement where it's like, you know, it's not just about my, my partner for the film was like a white dude. Yeah. I'm just like saying women because it's my experience, but mm-hmm. it's sort of just general awareness that totally. people need to. And I think to your point. Or that that is happening. Not people need, people don't need to do anything. Just that's already happening. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and I think to your point, like the raising of consciousness is good for all of us. And I think it's important for like those straight white men. Like I'm talking about what a great experience I had working with you on your set, on your film, that was working with you and John. And John's amazing. And, you know, when when we have this conversation about whiteness and maleness, I'm always like, FYI, I have a lot of really awesome white dudes in my life, including my dad. Like, he's great. He's like a straight old white guy and he's the best. It's important to differentiate, like, a system that's dangerous to everyone in it, which is, like, white heteronormative patriarchy, which doesn't help most straight white guys either in the long run even though they benefit most from it and it's like and it's like they benefit externally but it still cuts off a huge chunk of their hearts Mm -hmm. you know look at trump he's the one benefiting most from this system and like he looks so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. unhappy Mm -hmm. uneasy he Mm -hmm. seems really agitated yes unrelaxed And Al Franken, who I know is like a complicated situation or whatever, but like I still have love for um, parts of his career. Likewise. Pointed out once that like you've never seen Donald Trump laugh. You see Mm -hmm. him smirk or sneer, but you never see him laugh. Mm -hmm. These people don't look happy who are supposedly The beneficiaries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, toxic systems are a thief of joy. And I think it's very cool Right now, that that awakening that you're talking about, this like deepening of consciousness that seems like it's happening more and more rapidly because there's so much information and so much access, allows all of us to see where our blind spots have been. Because by the way, we all have them. Like even if we're not the main beneficiaries, we all have them. And And this space where so many people are showing up to try to like learn how to advocate better for each other and better for their communities and and just be better humans makes me feel really excited because it shouldn't feel like a calling out it should be a calling in it should be like welcome into this space come into this space deepen your relationship to the world do do you want to be 
more layered and complex and brilliant and cool and 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 interestingly enough I find that I laugh more I find that I have more joy when I'm really tapped into that kind of community awareness Mm -hmm. so yeah maybe we just need to like tape that guy to a chair and teach him some things and like in a year he'll be laughing and be like I hate this job I quit I'm gonna leave this for people who actually care that would be great right Yeah, like if he had some sort of awakening, it was just like, actually, I don't want to do this because he so clearly doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to serve people. Well, it's just like it's not the job. He wants to take the job and make it into a monarchy or a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. It's such a fucking mess. Well, it's like the kid in the sandbox (sighs) who wants to take everybody else's toys, even though he can play with one toy. He just wants (sighs) to sit on all the toys and be like, my toys. And, and it's, it's just so like, that's weird. not what like playing is. It's like no. not fun. I, it feels so distraught. I can't imagine a time beyond this right now. We do emotionally have to be prepared, I guess, for him to win again. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that fucking looks like. Yeah, that feels like a real dangerous <laughs> threshold to cross. And like, I'm like, do, do you even envision it? You know, like my friends were saying the other day, they don't want to be like disappointed in the same way again. And that's why they're like envisioning it. But I'm like, I do feel like envisioning something is like the beginning of making it real. So I don't even really want to picture it. Yes. But I also don't want to be like shocked. And I guess I, I would be shocked. I would. It was, it is like crazy to think about. It is fucking crazy. And I want to have a a wide enough scope to think beyond it because this administration is, it's not new, right? Like that's also another thing that's hard to parse out. Like this Mm -hmm. has always been happening. It's just Mm -hmm. the most caricature version. And because it's the most caricature, because it's the most satirical such that satire can't really even exist anymore when the reality is so satirical. Mm. Does that make it a different thing or is it just the complete end of the spectrum? Is it yeah. like so far on one end of the spectrum? Like how far into the matrix are we? Yeah. Because it does feel uh, <laughs> truly unreal a lot of the time. And sometimes I'm like, it's not that I believe all that nonsense that we're living in a simulation, but like, yo, is this a simulation? Because what's happening? Okay, bro, I have like big old <laughs> thoughts on simulation theory. Do you? Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, we are living in a simulation, which is rather than like Elon Musk, who's like, dude, computer, computer processing units, CPUs have gotten so good that like, we wouldn't even know because like video games are so fucking cool that we wouldn't even know if we're living in a video game or not. (laughs) I'm like, it's not about video game fucking graphics. We are living in a simulation of a society that like very few white males came up with Mm -hmm. and it's been played out for 10,000 years, this like patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And we are getting to like, that is, we are living in a simulation and there are more people than there used to be. It's not like it's grown beyond what it ever could have been. Yeah. What it was ever envisioned to be. It was like at first like Kings and then it was like feudal Lords, which like spread the power out among Mm -hmm. like more, I guess, white males Mm. or whatever, again, who are just the beneficiaries, not like necessarily the agents. And then it became like the suburbs, you know, the city and the country and the suburbs. Mm. It's just all part of the same thing. And I'm like, this is a simulation where white men have the most power. And then 
next comes whoever and next comes whoever. And we've been like parsing out like the rest of it Mm. for a while. But Mm -hmm. I feel like we're getting to a place. Okay. My other like B side of my simulation (laughs) theory is like because of Instagram and I know Instagram and Facebook are like literally evil and I'm, I'm, I totally recognize how incredibly dangerous they are and what, how they've like contributed to Trump getting elected and not policing hate speech, thus Mm -hmm. including hate speech in free speech. But Mm -hmm. anyway, the other day, my friend Annie was like the first of my friends to like this Beyonce, you know, one of Beyonce's like Lion King press posts. And it was so funny. I was like, it was like one minute ago, Beyonce posted this. And I was like laughing because I'm like, oh, Annie and I are both Annie liked this. And we see like our patterns Mm. on Instagram more. Instagram and the internet is like raising our own consciousness about our patterns, our connections to other people, Mm -hmm. how our brains work, what our own personal individual patterns are. So we're seeing the like data from simulation theory Mm. played out like in our palms or whatever. Yeah, And so that's also like contributing to that concept, like becoming more like in our mouths all the time. But I don't think we're like actually living in a video game, but I'm like, we are living in a simulation where of the patriarchy well, yes. of this one system that is not humanity. It's one system of yes. how humanity can be controlled. And it's a system that's been hoarding so much power. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. That the, like, it's so scary no, to I, say those thoughts. But I love that. I love it. And, and it's interesting because it controls power and then you live in it. And it's like, I, this is going to, this is so tangential, but I promise there's a point. Years ago when the David Bowie exhibition was traveling around the world, it was so fascinating. I just, I'm fascinated by him and his art and everything that he did. And there's a, there's a whole section of it. It came to Chicago and I was working there at the time. It was at the MCA. I literally befriended the woman who runs the museum and she let me go see the exhibition like 17 times even though it was sold out every day, I would just like sneak in. It was magic. I was like, this is a moment where I'm super glad I'm an actor. Cause like yeah. most of the time there's not like real perks. There's like fake perks on TV, but this is a perk. Yeah. And so I would just like troll around or wander around in the, in the Bowie exhibit. And there was a whole room on the time that he lived in Germany. And this is like East and West Berlin era. And I really started thinking about that time and I started thinking about the wall and I started thinking about what was happening to people. And you realize that in, in these communities where there is a, a version of government control, which what does that even mean? People suffer, they are denied, they are starving, they don't have medical care access. They don't, all of these things, which we see played out in like tessellations now in all these different ways in different communities, but that just becomes your life. And you just live that way because that's how life is. But to your point, when we think about how it's a system and not actually humanity, why? Why is this what life is? You know, why why have we been allowed to cause decades of strife in South and Central America and now judge the people who are trying to escape those places that we've made worse for coming here to a place where they're legally allowed to come, but we've changed our own laws to break our own constitution to turn them into criminals to then say we are allowed to detain them at prices that are making money for more white men. You know, like I was just listening to, um, do you listen to Democracy Now? I'm so behind. I'm I'm also behind, but... It just like cracks me up because there is no satire, Mm. how humorless it is. It's actually kind of funny. Like everything's upside down. So it's hilarious. The horrendous, 
<laughs> You're just like, this can't be real. Yeah. And it's like so sincere. And like the beginning, the, the theme song is so literally funky that like, it's literally like such a good theme song and so funky. And then like terrible news is said over it humorlessly. Like it just cracks me up. Like the, mm. like the John Stewart daily show and Trump being elected, there's no satire uh, possible mm. right now. But I was listening to it and I was like hearing about the immigration and shit and Trump being racist to Ilhan Omar and AOC and Ayanna Presley and I forget the fourth one, but and like uh, white women who are already going to vote for Trump, like can't see it as racism because they only see racism as like a lynching before their eyes. You know what Yikes. I mean? Like there's no room for shades of gray. I was just thinking about like our country was born as a promise to white males to uphold the patriarchy. So like we are like the simulation to like beat the simulation. We do have to go back on our promise. They were promised that. So that's why they're like confused. Mm. And I don't even mean white males. I mean like people who want to support the system as it is and want to hoard power. They were promised Mm. little kingdoms, you know, and Mm. like, Whatever. I'm like, I don't even know history, but I'm like Napoleon and the Louisiana Purchase or whatever. I don't even know. I'm not even like claiming to know. But like they were they were promised kingdoms. This this country wasn't born on like promising black people land. Right. Well, there there was always an assumption of entitlement for those in power. And it's interesting to me that in a way, to your point, it it was founded by promise to these white guys. Yet the language it was written in was set in the ideal, which was in the inclusion, which was Mm. in freedom, which is really meant for all people. Well, for all men. Right. But But it's interesting to me that in a way... Their language knew before they did. Like they they right. set an right. ideal that we've been <laughs> striving to become. It tripped me out. I'm loving this. Right, right, like, right, right. We've been striving to become those words and we've always fallen short, but the words exist. And like that's the whole because, point. You know what? Like this is like tripping me out because you know we what? came here to get away from a white heteronormative patriarchy that was religiously oppressive. Yet we've recreated it because we we prefer the pain we know to the risk of the unknown. And so many of us who read the words, who read the ideals, say, "But the unknown is always why we came here." And we fucked it up along the way, of course. Like, look what we did to indigenous people. Look what we did to people of color. Look what we are doing to indigenous people and people of color. But, like, the ideal is for all of us. And that's where we want to get to. Because it's people almost are like so afraid. Their humanity was speaking beyond the system. Yes. Like, it was like, because, right? Because the writing, it's like, you know, when you really get in flow and you're talking about something and you tap in and you're like, I don't know what that was. I don't know what I just channeled. I don't know if it's source. I don't know if it was divine, like whatever you believe in spiritually. But when you, when something comes out of your soul onto paper, you know it. And mm-hmm. it's like, there was a moment where, where what we were meant to be under the inspiration of freedom was like doing some soul work. And then... Terrible human tribalistic tendency just keeps fucking it up. Because I'm like, that's like in trying to like, in in, in inventing America, that's like how the whole slave thing happened. Like they didn't even try to do it themselves. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I'm like, at what point did they think that was idealistic? Right. And isn't it shocking how upset people get when you simply talk about a fact of anything unpleasant? Like 
Michelle Obama gave that beautiful speech and talked about what a surreal experience it is to be the first lady and to be this modern American woman who wakes up in a house every day as a black woman that was built by slaves. And like people lost their minds. And it's like, but that's true. Why would we not talk about that? Why would we not recognize that her acknowledging that is actually a recognition of the fact that we are getting closer to the best of our ideals? We should always acknowledge where we've come from so that we can continue to move forward. And it's weird that people don't want to get into it. They think there will be people who listen to us having this conversation who are like those fucking unpatriotic, like a Hollywood leftist. And it's like, no, I, I believe that demanding that we live up to the best of our goals is the most patriotic thing you can do. Dissent is patriotic. Like when Ruth Bader Ginsburg bangs, bangs the gavel, I'm like, she's the most patriotic person ever. I, I want more of that. I want us to challenge ourselves to be better. Totally. Is that where Generator Collective comes from? Can you tell people about that? Because I'm obsessed with it. And if, if people who are listening don't know, I want them to know. Thank you so much. I, we just had like such a jam session um, on Generator yesterday, such that like, you know, when you like jam on something so hard that you're like, what is it even? We like weren't even sure like what it was. What are we making? What is this magical thing? Yeah. When you like pull it apart and then we aim to put it back together uh, stronger. But Generator Collective is this project I do that is, it's like, I like really love myself and think I'm like really smart or whatever. You are. But thank you. (laughs) So I'm like, so why don't I know pretty much like anything about the government, Mm. when elections are, who I'm voting for, who's up as a candidate. And it's like, Mm because it is made elusive to me. Mm-hmm. And for people who have less privilege, privilege than I do, it's made even more elusive and like in, impossible to call through. Mm. You know, when you like start like Googling like the elections and it's like tomorrow or whatever. And I'm like a f- fucking idiot, like cheating, you know, like doing my homework the night before, like writing my essay on Adderall the night before it's due <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's like, I'm, going so hard to cram for it or whatever. So I've kind of made my journey in learning minimal civics mm. uh, available to anybody who wants to partake. Mm. So it at this point, it's a live event series where I interview activists and politicians. And I kind of want to know where they both fit in the system. I'm kind of trying to learn what the system is because I actually think it's like a good system. Mm. It's just being abused. Like you were saying, like it was made out of the ideal. Mm. So the system is pretty good and does have checks and balances and all this. Mm-hmm. But and not if we don't flex on it. We feel like we have this like amazing tool as, as fucked up as Instagram and Facebook is. We, we have this tool available and mm-hmm. our goal is to make minimal civic engagement cool. And to make minimal civic engagement cool is a big is one of our like tenants and also to make it okay to say, I don't know, because I'm yes. like, I don't know anything. I, I literally know so little. And the way I find out is like last minute on the fucking internet. I do not know how the system works, how local elections work. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that journey available and accessible and make it less shameful to not know. 
Same, 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 same. Because it's interesting. I had a, I had kind of like a whoa leading into the midterms moment because I am a person who a lot of people reach out to going, you know, what about this? And I go, I mean, I, weirdly, I know a lot about this and I feel like I don't know a lot about this. It's so complex. It's so interesting. So yeah, I, I feel like I sort of feel like the last 10 years of working in activism and politics for me has been like grad school where I'm, I'm trying to learn all the time. And the more I learn, the more I realize wherever I think the bottom of the knowledge barrel is, it's like stories below and I have to keep deep diving and I have to keep looking. But I think when we turn it into like a mission or a passion, it gets really exciting. I get really excited to learn new things about what's going on in a system. I get, I get excited to learn about what's happening in a local election. And that's a little bit of a mental game you have to play with yourself to, to flip the narrative of pressure on its head. The thing with our, another like thing we're like um, defining with generators, instead of like, you should dot, 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 you should dot, dot, dot. I'm like, I should. Yeah. I will just take the hit of like, I should. I've been away for a long time. I should do this like volunteering thing. Like big mm-hmm. deal. What is minimal, what does minimal civic engagement look like? And when I think about the energy of like, should, I'm like, my friend Emily always says like, stop shooting all over yourself, which L-O-L. I think is so good. That's so funny. But when we look around and it's like, well, we should do this, that, and the other, when someone puts it on you, you should, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. It's like, it, fuck you. It feels like pressure <laughs> right. again. And I think so much of politics, again, because people want it to feel prohibitive to the masses because the masses, it's meant to be for us and by us. They've made it feel pressurized. So people, studies show that people feel as tense going into the election booth as they did on the day they took their SATs. And it's like, you can take a cheat sheet or a friend, like literally, it's not a test. It's, It's an expression. So I think about how to turn the idea of that system feeling pressurized, flipping it over. And to me, the other side of that coin is privilege. Like I have the privilege of volunteering. I have the privilege of voting. I have the privilege of living in a democracy where like, if I'm fucking pissed about that school board measure, I get to vote on it. I don't even have kids. And I can be like, this is some bullshit that you classified pizza as a vegetable for children. Mm-hmm. No, give them broccoli. Right. You know, like we, we can weigh in on those things. What a privilege. And so I think that's what makes me super excited about Generator and what you're doing is that it's about storytelling. Like what a radical privilege it is to be civically engaged. That's right. Human, we want to humanize policy and make it yeah. like understandable and accessible. Like how does policy affect us in the everyday life? It feels like so up here and they make it seem like it's like something we like wouldn't know anything about us. Like, like who, how could you possibly know about <laughs> the government? Yeah. And it's like, well, your like decisions are affecting everyday lives and yeah, we want to like explore what that looks like and what that really means. Yeah. So g- making a generator video is like a two camera video looking into camera and speaking. The thing is like, say your name, where you are right now, something you love, just something you love mm-hmm. and a policy in the way it's affecting you. And one way it can affect you is like mentally just to think about like immigration policy. Like I am not an immigrant. I was born in this country, but like the way that immigrants are being treated on my behalf as an American mm-hmm. is like tripping me out and giving me anxiety and depression. Like yeah. that's that, that, um, is a perfectly fine generator video of how 
policy is affecting you in your everyday life. That's so cool. I'm really excited to but see it. But it's a bunch it of things, and I hope to like narrow it down and have yeah. like a more succinct thing to say in the future. Okay, so here we are in like content creation, falling into like telling a story that you want to tell, realizing as it's happening, like as the snowball is moving down the mountain, you're like, oh, I'm making this super feminist show. I didn't even know I was just having a conversation I wanted to have, which is interesting, right? That like when women are in control of their own conversations, they're like revolutionary and feminist. It's like, oh, right, because we so often don't have any power in right. content and storytelling crazy. But I want to like take it back a little bit because I think so many people who are listening are like, we fucking love Broad City, like great. But where does this begin? Because I know to your point, the series began as a web series. Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of improv and UCB in your history. UCB is Upright Citizens Brigade. It's brilliant. If you're lucky enough to live in LA or New York, go to shows, support comedians. It's the shit. But like, where does this begin? Because I also, as a person who's like, I know you, just this week discovered that there are videos on YouTube of a TV show you made with your brother when you were a kid. I was like, wait, you've literally been doing this for so long. Like, who are you as a small child? Oh my God. How does this happen? How does this like, like precocious, smart storyteller come to be. That's so funny and so cute. K-R-A-P-T-V. K-R-A-P-T-V. That's so cute. So the middle class like doesn't exist anymore or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I grew up like truly middle class on Long Island and the privilege of being close to New York City is not lost on me. The proximity to New York, to New York City makes like possibilities seem more possible. There's just access there and art available and also like diversity available where there wasn't on Long Island. Mm. Also, my parents are like, I just have a great family. You know, my parents are awesome. Always talk to me and my brother, like our opinions and thoughts and ideas mattered. Mm. Not like I'm, I'm a pretty like strict babysitter or whatever, where I'm like, you tell a kid what to do. Cause it like gives them for me, like my vibe is like, Kids need like direction mm. and shit. I'm not like free, whatever, you know, like, what do you want to do next? What do you, it's like, do this, do this chore, do this play, go play with this thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not, my parents weren't like freewheeling hippies at all. They had these like subtle, subversive, progressive expressions of progressive politics that they totally didn't even realize they like had, which was like my brother Elliot and I were like treated totally the same. And he's mm. four years older beyond being like a boy. And I'm a girl. He, we were totally treated the same, even for our age, you know? And also my mom, we were like my mom, I would just like wear what my brother wore. I would just wear his clothes. Long Island is such a fucking weird place. <laughs> and gender is perverted into something very strange there. Where How do like, you mean that? Like the most macho men look like gay porn stars on Long Island. Hot. Yeah. Could be if they were gay porn stars. Mm. But being like angry police of machismo is not hot. Oh, interesting. So like that's like what I grew up with. And like, you know, I'm talking about like barbed wire, like how Jersey Shore, they look they look gay, those dudes, you know? And there's just like a weird thing going on on Long Island. And amidst all of that, my mom like did not make me 
put me in a box of like girly or anything. Mm -hmm. I just like followed my brother around. So you did what you wanted to do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just was like a normal kid who like played. So Elliot and I were each other's first comedy partners. And um, another thing is that like video cameras were such a big deal at the time in the early 90s. And my dad was like, sure, take it. Yeah, go have fun. Like rather than being like, it's dad's, like my dad was never It's a expensive, dick. don't touch it. Yeah, not like that at all. So we had like, we just played for, all we did was make content. All we did was make content. Very much like under Elliot's tutelage. <laughs> and we had this, like we had, we took it so seriously. We had Carrie PTV, which my mom's dad used to make um, like little sketches and videotape them. Dave, Dave Wexler, he was like Whoa. hilarious and like such a funny... Now I'm like, I see him as like fluid. I'm like, oh, duh. Um, like funny, fluid, OCD dude. So Elliot would like uh, write sketches and then put me in them. And we just did this for years, probably from my age of six, if Elle was like 10, to when I was, he was like maybe got stopped doing it when he was like 13 and I was nine. So mm -hmm. yeah, for like three or four years, we just made hundreds of hours of content we, in the time, in that time, there was a, like, LOL, a merger. We changed our station from KRAP-TV to GBS Laser Broadcasting System. No. Psychos. I'm obsessed. <laughs> like, literal psychos. <laughs> Elliot was a, just a little genius. And I was, like, really his muse. Like, he was just a little fucking genius. And he still just, like, can produce so much content, like, so quickly when he gets in a flow. Like, he just is was always like really smart and precocious in this way. And was like a tiny, pretty much like a tiny older gay man, which like, so was I at the time, like there was this averaging of like who we were and it like became this comedy duo. Um, so we made comedy and we were both like musical theater people and just like not musical theater. No. Yeah. My parents would take us, all we were interested in were like musicals and plays and they would take mm -hmm. us in to see them. There was this like, Kids night on Tuesday nights, if you, if you would schlep into the city on a Tuesday night, then kids go for free. So my mom to would place. like, yeah. So my wow. mom like got these like coupons that, you know, we would just whatever see, um, that was all we were interested in. My dad's like an amazing jazz pianist. My mom has awesome. Cause I like can't call my dad a penis. My <laughs> mom has awesome taste and is just very smart. And I was like super fucking lucky in that way. Mm -hmm. And so that was like all we, we were into really like arts and just did plays. I'm literally like, I think I've done like six versions of Fiddler on the Roof. So we also grew up weirdly like not with Jews, but with Irish Italians, mostly Italians, Eastern Long Island mm -hmm. in the wake of white flight from like urban to suburban where white people were like the suburbs seem nice back to like the feudal Lord system. Mm -hmm. And now suburban people are moving back into the city and suburbanizing the city. Like the Upper West Side is the suburbs condensed to, you know, a few blocks. It's vertical suburbs now. Yes. Yeah. It, it's very, and I, I see myself as part of the problem or, or I see, I, I think I see very clearly like where I fit into this and it's like, mm -hmm. it's trippy, you know? I'm always so interested too in like the overlap in those communities because my family is all Irish and Italian Catholic. My dad is like fully agnostic, spiritual, immigrant, sweet artist person. And then, and the rest of my family, you know, aside from him is all Jewish. And so I grew up like Catholic mass, random church, temple on all the high holidays, like 
And I'm just like, everybody loves family and eating. Like I'm down with all these people. And it's interesting, I think here, because my mom's whole family is like Jersey and New York, how much those communities do really overlap. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, physical overlap that makes like cultural overlap that yeah. I love about New York. So when you when you talk about like being around other people who are Jewish and also not and other religions, like what did was was spirituality part of your life? Is it how it how, was like how did like, that inform? It was more like a cultural thing. Like I went to Hebrew school my whole mm. childhood, and and I really. I actually liked Hebrew school. Like even like in studying for my bat mitzvah, I was like, that was like where I would see my Jewish friends, I guess, like outside of school. Like my friend Eden is my best, one of my best friends, Eden is Jewish, but like she didn't practice, you know? Mm. So then to go to Hebrew school, I was like, I do like the rituals. And yeah, I don't know. That was like where I would like hang with Jews and camp was more Jews. But I didn't think of it as spirituality, I think, until I became an adult and I'm like still working out what that means mm-hmm. for me. But I I really do like Judaism. I'm like, it's cool. I like that it's like about questioning and that yeah. actually feeds into comedy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which is about questioning. It yeah. feels kind of cohesive to me. I always joke that like all the, all the Jews and all the Catholics in my family mean we have double the anxiety and twice the guilt all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> There's such neuroses. I like grew up thinking that my guilt was Jewish guilt, but now I realize it's Catholic guilt, which is way worse. They, they like wild. don't let you fuck. You know what I mean? It's like, and then it's like, it doesn't even work. Like it's, it's Catholic guilt is wild. It's very So like just fast forward. So we're like into the arts and yeah. then my brother is like going to NYU and I see that as a possibility for myself and Upright Citizens Brigade, which was a show on Comedy Central. I grew up a totally a total comedy nerd. Comedy Central was like my shit. I watched like Strangers with Candy, Upright Citizens Brigade, but also like more like mainstream shows like Friends, Seinfeld. Mm. I guess like uh, I was going to say In Living Color, but I was kind of too young to appreciate it. But like whatever, Living Single, Golden Girls, um, oh, Girlfriends. Golden you know Girls. what I mean? Like oh my god. Golden Girls is so fucking funny. It's the shit. Can we do that show when we get old? Like, can yeah. you and I and, like, two other friends do Golden Girls, like, 2050 reboot? Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to just put that out in the universe. I'm going to manifest that shit. Yeah, that's cool. And we're also, like, heads in jars, like, rolling around. <laughs> JK. Yeah. So, Elliot's like, when you come to the city, like, literally plans, when you come to the city, we'll take classes together. Mm. Um, and he was like wanted to like wait for me to like enter. And so when I did get to the city, we like entered the scene together and took classes and did this sketch show, um, high school talent show for years at UCB. There's this shit New Yorker say, remember like, um, shit girl say, and then everybody did their version of it. Elliot did a shit New Yorker say that's like still on the internet. And Abby was at, and we did this improv group and I really was like cast a wide net more for networking and just like, see what I like. So I did stand up sketch and improv. Improv was never, I don't, I don't like doing improv. It's like so uncomfortable and I see it more as an exercise like therapy mm. than for me an art form. Cause it's so unpleasant for me. It's like torture. It's so hard. I mean, it's yeah. so fucking hard. And there's like a bit of a formula that I'm like, I don't know when I, when we entered the scene 14 fucking years ago, it was way more experimental than it is now. And what mm-hmm. we see now, like mumblecore and like awkwardness or whatever, used to be alt and now it's mainstream, which is chill and good and cool. Like I'm not even putting any 
emotion on it. It's just what's happened. And I can't believe I'm old enough to have seen something happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, really weird, right? You wake up and suddenly you're like, I have perspective, which comes with age. How did this happen? Yeah, it's so weird. It's weird. So Abby and I were the only girls in this improv group and she did this show. Elliot and I had been doing shows at UCB, this sketch show. And Abby did this show with a partner who like they got notes back and the partner like didn't want to, was like, oh, fuck this. Like we got notes, like, you know, was so offended by the notes. And I was like, well, notes mean that they're like engaging. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I were your partner, I would be down and like go back. You know what I mean? Like that's how I work. And she was like, right. Like, it's good to get notes. And I was like, totally. And I was like, well, you know, if you're looking to do something, we could work together. And she was like, okay. So then we got together and like made this spreadsheet of all these ideas. And we realized that like we had a difference and a meeting in the middle of our personalities that Mm. was interesting to us. And that provided attention that moved material forward that kept was like, well, I would say this and you would say like, I think this. And she, she would be like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? And I was like, what? That's how I, you know, yeah. you know. So we started, like, exploring our dynamic. And we were like, let's try this. And we made 35 webisodes in two years by using the resources available, which was accessing our community, seeing who wanted um, opportunity on a set, no matter how amateur it. Yeah. How do you fund this? How does this? We you just work full-time hustled? jobs. And what else am I? paying for it. You know, like I'm just budgeting for, I was paying $715 a month with like two roommates. That was like my last, that was like the last time I had two roommates. I was paying 715 and it was like in total, like whatever, $1,800 a month, this like apartment with three people in it. That was never not filled with soot because of where we were in Gowanus. You know, what else are we paying for? I was like, mm. okay, I had like student loans, but it was like two fifty a quarter. And my mom would like help me budget shit out, you know? So mm. I just we just You made um, it work. Yeah, totally made it work. And so we just worked full time jobs and paid for our web series. And it wasn't much. You know, like the first season we were like not paying people but paying for production. The second season we were paying one hundred dollars <laughs> to a director <laughs> slash editor. And we just like fucking made it work. And the second season, there was like a big shift in the second season, speaking of raising consciousness, where we were were like, holy shit, this is a mini TV show on the internet. So let's treat it like that and have a release date and have supplemental content. So we'd have, we had 15 shorts, but eight of them were shot in one day uh, and they were FaceTimes, which we later did as digital content, um, Mm -hmm. hack into Broad City uh, for Comedy Central for the, as supplemental content, bridge content for the TV show. But we real we like got smarter about it and like mm. had a pressured ourselves to do it every week. So if people were expecting oh, something on Tuesdays, it's gonna it's gotta fucking come out on Tuesdays. And those deadlines and that self imposed pressure really did create momentum. Mm. And we were going to pitch the show anyway. But then when we asked Amy Poehler, who was one of the four founders of UCB, to be in our web series finale. And it connected because it was like the school that we went to, her school, Mm. it made sense. And she was looking to produce more as she was like settled into Parks and Rec. And it like all worked. We were thinking about her producing. She was thinking about producing us. And then when we had what we had already planned to pitch, we were now pitching with Polar. And Mm. obviously that made all the difference. And that was in 2011 that we sold 
the pitch to FX and we had like a year with them that was like really helpful and useful. But then they passed and we brought it back to Comedy Central and they wanted it. And we had a pilot script. So they, we, you know, it's like, well, will you agree to make the pilot? Like we're not rewriting the script. Like you just keep moving the deal forward. I learned through this. So they made the pilot. And then, I mean, it takes so fucking long. November 2012, we made the pilot. Uh, Lucia directed it, Lucia Agnello. And then in March is when we heard that we're going to series. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like a, a rush to to make the season. But to write and go. And- oh, my God. And then 2014 was the first season came out. It is crazy how long it takes and how high pressure fast it moves all at the same time. You're like, what's going on? Yeah. And why does it have to be this way? But it just does. Yeah. When it's happening, it's fucking happening. It's and there's a rush goes. and it's how it goes. So – I mean, obviously, it's the best show. I'm curious, too, how you guys settled into this, like, I mean, obviously hilarious and, like, hyper-realized in some senses, but, like, reality of living in New York. Because I think about those classic shows that we all grew up watching and, like, the Seinfelds and Friends and whatnot, and they're amazing. But having had an apartment that I had two roommates in, which was, I don't know, 600 square feet in New York when I was 23 – no, I would watch those shows and go, where are these apartments supposed to be? You know, it's like this LA is, on a set. This you know? is so crazy to me. But it like relates to me where it's like so 90s where white people were like, we did it. We solved racism. Bill Clinton's <laughs> the president. Like all white people were like patting themselves on the back in the 90s in a way that that's what New York looked like on TV. Like it's just not real and nobody's as hot as the six friends were and it like hurt. You know what I mean? I would watch and be like, I like want to be them. I want to be in them. Like who are, it's just not real. And like with the internet, Broad City is like a perfect fucking cultural cornerstone of how the culture is moving, which is toward democratized content Mm -hmm. that reflects real life more. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it was so fucking cheap. We made it with like a few thousand dollars. um, Right. You know, and that's, I think we're just like a perfect example of how content is moving and that the future is female. Yeah. It's so cool. And it's interesting too, because I sit here and I go, God, I should make more things. Like I should be less intimidated to just do that. Because so much shit is so bad. I know. So much shit is so bad. 98% of content is terrible. Trash. And like people are just happy to just have something to chill with too. Like I'm not even saying it's bad and is bad for the world. It's just not good. Yeah. You know what I mean? The quality of the content is not good or it's high production value, but the writing is terrible. Yeah. And you definitely should be less intimidated because it is so bad. So how did you guys sort of wrangle this experience as these two co-creators and you're working obviously with Paul and Lucia and the four of you are writing this amazing show. How do you manage it? How do you figure out what stories you want to tell? How do you create these characters? Because it's you and Abby, but also you guys have talked about how it is you, but it isn't you and things are exaggerated. And how do you straddle all these lines? Messily and not smoothly. You know, you just do it. (laughs) Trial and error. Yeah. And it's embarrassing Mm -hmm. like to not do shit well, like the first season. (laughs) We always laugh. I was like secretly, but like not so secretly because you can tell. I was like, smoking cigarettes in the stairwell because I was losing my mind and couldn't smoke weed during the day and was just like needed some 
ritual that represented stress relief, um, just like grotesquely is how we did it, just mm. grotesquely. And mm. with therapy helps, partnership in friendships and with in romantic relationships helps, you know, so that you keep, that's kind of the thing I guess is like to keep living real life mm. while you're creating a captured, manipulated, not real version of life Yeah. Um, so that you keep like, so we would keep developing our identities as we were creating this like alternate reality. Like I could not do another season of Broad City if, if you begged me. It's one of the best shows on TV. It's so fucking funny, so smart, so sincere, so mm. real, so vulnerable. I love that you own that so Oh, it's so fucking good. Because you deserve to. And it's, we're not encouraged to do that. It sucks that Broad City wasn't nominated for an Emmy. I really wish that we were recognized in this way. And like, yes, it's because Abby and I are like record-breakingly young showrunners, writers, creators, producers, stars. Like, I am so proud of us. And I'm like... We should totally be recognized. That's bullshit. I'm calling that out. But in a in a bigger, like heavier way, I'm really disappointed that our audience wasn't recognized. You know, it's like, okay, Broad City, we made a web series. We wanted to make this show no matter what, you know, if people watched or not. But people did watch really like important, smart, self-selected people, kind of like chosen people um, who were on top of the shit enough, like had their finger on the pulse enough that they knew about the show. And the show shifted the culture. 100%. Like, I love it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I like lost where I was going. Was that about like fake life? Well, Is that like... But, and, but and about you could, how you stabilized. And I'm curious, like, I w- yeah. how, how much of the characters were an exaggeration? How do you toggle between yourself and these characters? And then to your point, like... Yeah. How, when you're making this TV show, do you like date? How do you have a life? Because that's the thing. That's, that's what I was saying was like, you couldn't beg me as much as I love Broad City, as much as I know it helps people because they fucking tell us, I couldn't do another season and neither could Abby because it's so, it's painful to like be this other person. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, we didn't want to trap ourselves in real life. Life is precious. Life is long and life is short. It's like, we needed more time to live real life, Yes, you know? And like, spreading it among like different projects that maybe aren't as like densely capturing our real life character gives more time for real life. Mm. And yeah, just love the show, love the experience. And it's a completely life defining experience, but it's, it's so hard to have the time to feed yourself as a real person Mm -hmm. when you are feeding these characters and these alternate versions of yourselves. Mm -hmm. So that like, Raising consciousness and learning about yourself and learning about the world is so important to me as an artist because, like, that's what I want to do as an artist. Just, like, mark history in this moment of, like, what people are feeling right now. But you have to be a person in the world to do that. Yes. Otherwise, you lose the relation to the world, which then allows you to tell the story. It's like you lose – it's like losing your words, losing your language. When you don't have enough of a life – to then tell a story about living people, it's it's like all of the words fall out of your mouth. Yeah, and it's like, I'm just like thinking about Beyonce right now, as I often do, and it's like, she <laughs> she is marking her history as an icon. She's like bigger than Michael Jackson. She's bigger yeah. than any, it's not like about gender or race, like yeah. Beyonce is Beyonce. And like, she doesn't have to live real life to mark history right now. Like marking the history of her life is what like the world needs from her, mm-hmm. right? So like my, like as a comedian and as like, whatever type of artist I am, 
I have to like make more space for my real life and her real life. It's like jumping off like the second floor of a yacht. And I'm like, I want Beyonce to do that. Like it, it's important that she does. Yeah. Yeah. She needs to have a life within the constraints of the life she lives. Yeah. And we like, all do. And like, it's kind of about like seeing who you are as an artist and, you know, for a long, like Abby went to art school and knows about art history yeah. and gave me the agency to see what I do as art mm. and like taught me about like art and like how to look at art. Whoa. Sorry. Yeah. And she just takes in a lot and she like consumes it and buys it. And, and she like knows like cool artists on Instagram. Like she just tapped into that. Mm. She's into outsider artists, artists with disabilities who mm. make art. And like, it's the coolest fucking art. And I didn't even like see myself as an artist before I was like a comedian. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, art is really fucking important. And yeah. there's a purpose that artists have to serve. Yes. It's so interesting that you say that. I feel like this last year or two, especially I'm coming to terms with that. I always, I realized that I always would shrug off talking about what I do. And <sighs> right? I don't know why we haven't been allowed to really relish in the importance of art and communication and conversation and storytelling. These things matter. And, and part of it is like, as women, we haven't been encouraged. Yeah. Yes. But also it's just hard to say like, I'm an artist. Yeah, you know, I'm for an like even and and like again, this thing about like the white man, like it's not about like the individuals; it's about the system. It's the system, and but the system has like only afforded certain types of looking people to be able to say, "I'm an artist, and my art's important." Yeah, it, what a fucking interesting time, and That's I can't cool. tell if it's a continuation of things that have always been, which it clearly is, but it also feels different, and I really think it's because we are beating the simulation. Yeah. This conversation is crazy. Yeah. And like, it's like what you and I were talking about on set or like, you know, taking a walk. Ugh, that day was so nice taking a walk I in Williamsburg. Just like walking around and we're like getting so, but the fact that you, it's not dangerous and yes, it's because we're white women and yes, it's because we have privilege, but also like the fact that this is, isn't dangerous to record and to put out on our platforms is, yeah. it's a fucking new day. It really is. Yes. Because it was thought of as dangerous. I remember in my 20s starting to get very publicly political. I'd always been political. And I was so kind of like traumatized by beginning to get famous at 21. It was like so scary Fuck. and awful. Yeah, no shit. And so I really retreated from public spaces and then realized that when I wasn't participating in social media, what actually was happening is that other people's treatment of me was silencing my voice. And I was like, oh, fuck this shit. And then I got hardcore in it. And I remember when I started getting super, super politically frank and people were like, you can't do this. This will ruin your career. And I thought, if I don't do this, I don't deserve to have a career. Yeah. Like, what's the point? When was that? How old were you about that? Um, and also, what was the internet happening at that time? It was Twitter. It wasn't Instagram. Wow. And I got on Twitter because Deepwater Horizon happened. I'd lived in New Orleans for a summer working on a film. I love Louisiana. I feel, I don't know why, like there's something about being there that always feels like going home. And I don't know if that's past wow. life shit or what, but I wow. got a call to, um, really incredible environmental activists that I had been working with via this organization called Global Green for many, many years at this point. Two environmental attorneys who live in Louisiana were like, it's really bad and everything on the news is a lie. Like it's martial law down here. Like we're allowing the murderer to clean up the crime scene and like what they're doing to people, what they're doing to communities of color. Like they're busing in 
like young men from the poorest communities of color in rural areas of Louisiana and not allowing them to wear respirators because the photos of them doing this beach cleanup look bad with respirators and like they're all going to have cancer. Like they're breathing carcinogenic (sighs) toxins. Like alarm bells go off when the toxicity is too high and people have to evacuate the area and they're not letting them wear masks. And I was like, fuck this. And I flew down there and literally signed up for a Twitter account that week and started essentially like citizen journalist broadcasting from the space. And, you know, there were sheriffs threatening to arrest and strip search us because we were filming. And luckily we had two attorneys with us who were quoting law saying, these are the reasons you can't do this. These are the reasons it's legal for us to film. But the police and the oil people were working in cohort to try to deny access to us to see what was going on. And in that moment, I realized like it was crazy. And, and, uh, you know, by the end of the following week, I was like satellite interviewing the news stations. And in that moment, I thought, oh, everything in my life led me here. All of my Mm. activism as a kid, all of my sort of like bleeding heart. Now I'm doing air quotes stuff that people would talk about when I was young, my journalism degree, all of it. Like this is why I'm here as a storyteller and as a person who's passionate about the truth, which is what art is for is telling the truth. This, this is it. And like that, that was the beginning. And like, you know, now it's like, I consider like, I use my Instagram like a news station and I love it. Right. But yeah, it's, it's like a new day where we have the opportunities to do this. And I was told it would be dangerous. And, you know, in my estimation, I'm like, look at Gloria Steinem. Like, no. Yeah, she lived. We have a responsibility to do this. And so, yeah. Love it. So something I'm so excited about, we've talked about our movie, the way that you chose to to write this film and this sort of musing on the patriarchy and on white women and on societal pressure and all of these things. When you were like, I need you to essentially play an undercover agent for the patriarchy. I was like, ooh, this is going to be horrible and delicious. Mm. And it was so fun. So I'm curious about the inspiration for that. And then you went straight from our movie to your comedy tour and The Planet is Burning, which is your tour, is a special, about to be a huge special on Amazon. I yep. want to know about that. Yep. I want to let, I want like the people to tune into the things that you're doing. I appreciate that. Okay. So False Positive is this movie that I wrote with John Lee who directed it mm-hmm. and I um, starred in it and it started as this like bizarre, John had this script that was like a bizarre sort of like 70 page, we now call it like a tone poem. It was kind of like a fever dream. A tone poem. Of, about this woman and about pregnancy. I, I heard about it uh, from him. And John created Wonder Shows in this show years ago that was on MTV and like MTVU. And it was so trippy. And I was in college like watching it. It was so trippy that years later when we were in prep for the first season of Broad City – and someone suggested John Lee and he came in and was like, I did this show, Wonder Shows. And I was like, bro, I fucking know about Wonder Shows and I was obsessed with it. It was like doing a drug, watching this show, but Whoa. I was also stoned. So it was like very, very trippy. <laughs> so it was like potception. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, yeah. I'm stoned and stoned and stoned. It was and nuts. Stoned. It's a, a crazy show. And also, yeah, you like kind of have to have the stomach for it. It was so like so anarchist and, and fucky. So – Years later, we're, he, he directed this episode of Bright City, the finale of season three, Jews on a Plane. And 
I had been asking him about that weird script just like once every six months for like mm. about a year and a half. And then I think the third time that I was like, come on, can I have it? Let's do, let's do something with it. He was like, okay, let's do it. So we took this script to a 24 and made it into a feature script. Like a feature script is typically 120 pages mm. and like shit's getting shorter and shorter, but there's a specific certain like storytelling notes you have to hit in a feature. Yeah. And we were like, let's do it where we make this character some version of a hero, no matter how like fucked up that is, uh, the, our version of it is. And, um, it's crazy. It was a really awesome experience writing it and then mm. writing it with a 24 is really, um, good at making art and mm. they give great notes and it was, uh, I don't know. Like I, I only learn by doing, I mm. don't go to school, haven't gone to school for shit. I didn't go to school for TV and film. So I like have only learned by doing, and it was a great education and I am excited for the next thing. So yeah, when John and I started like blowing it out into this feature script, we realized like what themes we wanted to hit specifically this like white woman Trump voter who was like, you know, going to be on everyone's minds the next 18 months. And it's fucked up and it's like a thriller, a horror movie. And where it is right now, it's still in the edit. It's we're still like finding what this film is. Mm -hmm. It is weird. It is out there. And it was really fun. And we have Justin Thoreau plays my husband and Pierce Brosnan plays this doctor. And it is so wild to ask these white men to be undercover agents for the matriarchy in real life yes. or whatever the fuck you want to call the new world partnership culture, because like, it's scary. It, it must have been scary for them. And I actually know that it was because they're playing like Justin's playing this. It, it's bizarre. Like the nervous, the, the feeling of watching this film. I just watched the last cut with my husband and we were cracking up, but we were also like, ah, like the, <laughs> the tone that we're striking is so weird. It's interesting also to have the privilege to like make a movie, shoot it, and then look at, take a step back, look at it and be like, what do we still need? I've yeah, never had that experience. Holes? I've never had like a reshoot. Well, Cause you don't get to do that in TV. Not the for TV and too certainly not for Comedy Central, you know, like there's right. just no, no fucking way. Money was not like flowing from yeah. like Comedy Central to the production company to us. Like it just, I've never seen, I've never had that privilege and to have it now is really cool. That's um, so great. Filming it was so hard. It's so weird. Like I've never, because I've acted as Alana Wexler, it's been like this exercise of like the real me versus a caricature of me. False positive was so painful. Like I didn't realize how mm -hmm. physiological, it's a physiological exercise acting where you let your body, your physical form be this vessel for a story. It was mm -hmm. so hard to be like an oppressed bitch, like a kept woman, like sucked for 22 days. I was like, this sucks. It like yeah. hurt my body. And also mm -hmm. I was like giving birth and uh, like whatever, but also just to be acting with Justin and Pierce, like with you, it was different where it's like, I felt that with a girl where I'm like, Oh my God, she's so British. She's so cool. Like I can relate to our scenes, yeah. the ones with, Justin, like, it was so weird. We were cracking up because we had nervous giggles that I think the viewer is going to have watching. Yeah. And with Pierce, too. It was like, there were just these, like, cringy moments where we'd cut and be like, oh, yeah. You know, like, it was so fucking weird. What a trip. Okay, the, the comedy tour and special, I can't believe this year that I've had. I'm like, as I was telling you before we started recording, I'm, like, wrapping my fucking mind around this shit. I went on tour and my production company, Star Picks, 
with Kelsey, Kylie, and Nandi Mguaba, who um, are my producers, who are producers on the special, also tour managed the tour. Like, women are amazing, and, like, people are amazing and can do anything, but, like, women are amazing, and they, like, tour managed this tour, this two-week tour. It it sold out very quickly, I got to say. Like, this sold-out tour just was dope and a, a great way to lead to this special it's a crazy experience to make a one hour stand-up special. And I've been working on this material for a while. And when I did Broad City, I did not have the time to do stand-up, especially when it started. But when Abby was making her book, carry this book, she was had to go home at 7 p.m. every day and make this book. So I was yeah. like, I have this time that I've never had before because we've been in the room until 11 p.m. for three seasons. So I'm going to re-enter stand-up because I miss stand-up so wow. much. And at God, the time... the discipline you guys both were exercising is fascinating to me. We're fucking nuts, right? No, like, I'm obsessed with you, but like I go home and I'm like, <laughs> I want to watch... Like at the time you were doing this, I was like going home and being like, I want to watch Orphan Black. Like, But dude, it's also... It's dope that you did this. I appreciate it. And the other day, like my husband David was like, ha- like napping and I was like giving notes on my stand-up special and he's like, you're a freak because you're so productive. And I am a fucking freak. Like I'm a freak and it's really, really good to just watch the great British baking show or whatever sometimes. Like it is so, I miss out on real life in that way where people are like, yeah, like Netflix and chill. And I'm like, what? I'm like Netflix and productivity. It's like weird. (laughs) And I have like natural Ritalin inside of me and it's bizarre. Like I love it. It's, it's weird. So then I went back into standup and I do just have to mention that with the help of my of my friends who are in the room, Kevin Barnett, who passed away this year, who I just have to mm. say, Bird Luger forever, because he really was instrumental in me getting back into stand-up and his mm. writing partner, Josh. You know, Abby would go go home and make this book and we would like talk about stand-up and go do shows together or they would like, it's hard. You know what I mean? Like I'm still terrified and, and like I still feel like a loser or whatever, even though I just like made this special, you know? Mm. And I'm like, oh God, when I like get back into it, in September, like it's going to be hard or whatever, but they were instrumental in getting me back in. Thank you. So the tour was great. I brought Alison Leiby, another producer, PD Diabru, another producer, and it was such a fucking cool experience. And it was trippy. And the special, it's just like, you're like in a new place and the people there know you. And we went to blue dots in red States and like the thirst for progressive politics. Something that we talk about in generator is human rights politics. It's just about Mm -hmm. common sense. And like, just like the difference between right and wrong. It's yeah. it's not. It shouldn't be red and blue. It's like right and wrong. Yeah. And period. there is no fucking red and there is no fucking blue because some people who believe that every person's life is worth living and that people shouldn't be made to suffer because they're born in a certain place. Some of those people like to live in the woods in a cabin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't always look like a New Yorker or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. or an, a Hollywood person or whatever. And like Hollywood's not progressive I like rag the fuck on Mel Gibson in my special for a couple minutes. Yeah. And it's like Hollywood's not progressive. Like Mel Gibson has eight movies in production this yeah. year. Hollywood's not progressive. Yeah. Give it's, us a break. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not. It's run by the patriarchy. So I think False Positive is going to come out early 2020. Um, and I'm excited. I'm really excited for yeah. um, post-Broad City life. It's crazy to not have like the 11-month schedule ahead of me. Abby and I are like... Hey, dude, (laughs) what are you doing? And we're like, I don't know, man. I'm like busy, but I'm not, man. Um, but yeah, that's so cool. Well, I'm excited. I I can't wait for all of that to come. I can't wait until we figure out what we get to do next. Cause 
I need to do another job with you because it's fun. I would love that. I would be super I've got stoked. ideas. Of course I've got ideas. You guys have any idea, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I know because I'm like, have you seen this random documentary on Netflix? And you're like, no, but I wrote one. I'm like, cool, cool, tight. <laughs> cool, 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 tight, tight, tight. No, um, oh gosh. no, I love it. I ask everybody who comes in here because I think the reality is that like any person who the world respects, admires, like thinks has it all figured out is still just like trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious right now, and you are on such a precipice of a new experience. um, What in your life right now feels like a work in progress to you? My boundaries feel like a work in progress. Mm -hmm. My boundaries between not working and working Mm -hmm. is a work in progress that I need to put more time into figuring out my boundaries as my like relationships shift. Like it's not just me and Abby. There are so many people involved in Broad City and so many people like close friends who's, you know, who I've seen based on my Broad City calendar, like just boundaries are shifting in my Mm -hmm. life, in my relationships. And I, I need to like learn how to give like feedback to people and not just be like, cool, cool, got it. And like running away. Like I need better boundaries. And that's a work in progress for me, defining what those are. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. I like that. I, I set a boundary for myself that became really helpful in public. I like made a hard rule that if, and this happened to us the other day, that like, if someone comes up to the table where I am eating, I will not get up until the meal is over. Because people will run over and be like, hey, what's up? Like, and cool. Like, most people are lovely. Some people are super creepy, as you know. Like, people who touch me, I'm like, literally, if you touch me, I'll break your face. Yeah. <laughs> but because I do not know you, sir. Yeah. But the, I realized that what I needed to do for myself was create permission to go, oh, if you're still here when we finish our meal, I'd be more than happy to Good for you. take a picture with you, whatever. And that became a boundary. And weirdly, setting one boundary and going, oh, that's nice. It's almost like, your body stops being your friend if you don't listen to it. It's like you you don't have friends who you ignore all right, the time. Right, right, right. Like if someone ignores you all the time, you stop calling them. Yep. So setting a boundary weirdly made my body go, oh, you're trustworthy. Mm. And then when yeah. I would need to set a boundary, it's almost like I would hear my body be like, we don't like that. And I'd go, oh, okay, I'm going to set a new boundary. And it's like one li- – it's such a stupid little thing, but it started shifting my capacity to set boundaries in every other arena of my life. Amazing. So for whatever that's worth, like it could be something so minute that could like open the door. It's worth a lot. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Gotta be I friends. love that. Got to be friends with our bods, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Thanks for coming, Mrs. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So yeah. good to see you. So fun. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.